Ladies and gentlemen, here is the latest bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. Now nearer home, it is reported that at 8.50 p.m., a huge flaming object, believed to be a podcast, fell on a farm in the neighborhood of Grover's Mill, New Jersey, and the noise of the impact was heard as far north as Elizabeth. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Cinemartyr Podcast. This is a podcast where we watch movies and then we talk about the psychological, spiritual, and mythological themes in those movies. My name is Ryan and I am joined today by my illustrious co-host, Dr. Michael Petro. Mike, why don't you say hi? Hey, hey, Ryan. Good to talk to you again after a moderate <laughs> hiatus. Um, I just, uh, yeah, hiatus. I know. <laughs> the episode we filmed back in March just <laughs> dropped uh, the day before rec- we're recording this. And so I just listened to it, but I was mm-hmm. reminded how much I enjoy uh, getting a chance to do this because it's just a good excuse for you and I to hang out and get caught up, and uh, that always makes me happy. It is, it is great, buddy. It is, uh, yeah. I I was in the same boat when I was uh, editing that uh, the other uh, last week or whatever. When I whenever I edited it, I was like, ah, oh, man, we gotta we gotta get back at this because it's fun, and I know you and I have both been. Very overwhelmed with work wow. and life and um, coming out of the pandemic now, a much different world than yeah. even when we recorded that. Yeah. Uh, things were, you know, uh, we weren't sure where things were going to end. And uh, here we are. So you've been good? I'm, How, how's life? Um, life is good, man. It's the same boat. Like um, things were super locked down out here in New Mexico. I was talking to a friend in Texas a couple days ago and she was telling me how all through the entire pandemic, she was still teaching college courses in person with her students showing up. They just wore masks. Wow. And I was like, you know, I can't even relate wow. to that. I've been in my house with my cat for most of the last year and a half. So being outside now is wild. Probably spending too much money because I'm going out doing stuff. Um, but yeah. uh, good and <laughs> on vacation this week. So really great. Took like a nice quiet Ooh, staycation. Awesome. So pretty excited about that. Gave me a lot of Oh, a lot great. of opportunity to do a lot of uh, reviewing the movie we're going to talk about today, get jumping into a lot of the different <laughs> versions of it, which I'm excited to talk about. That's great. That's great. Have you, uh, aside from this movie, I just thought this might be a little fun here in the beginning. Uh, anything else fun that you've watched recently? Oh, yes. That uh, has struck you in the past couple months? I ventured <laughs> back for Recommendations into... for our listeners. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I ventured back into a movie theater for the first time in over a year, Whoa. and I saw A Quiet Place Part 2, which I loved. Oh. And it was so wild. I had tickets, like, you know, to see it the Friday that everything locked down was the day that that movie was supposed to come out. Oh, and I was so excited about it because I loved the first one yeah. so much. Yeah. And it does actually throw a kind of a War of the Worlds vibe. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a little bit relevant to what we're talking about. So um, I was so stoked for it. So to finally be wow. able to like actualize that, and I was in a crowded movie theater and everyone was talking, and I was like, "Oh my god, I forgot! I forgot post pandemic. Like I don't always like people, yeah, and yeah. so uh, being around them again, I was like, all right, well, this is going to be terrible because there was a bunch of kids in the movie theater and there was mm. a bunch of super chatty people, and I was like, this is what I signed up for. It's going to remind me why I don't love movies as much as I used to. And the second that movie started, man, yeah. it was quiet no one made a peep the kids even the little kids were just dead quiet the entire film and it was such a good movie going experience do see it if you haven't it's great yeah i'd like to that's awesome to hear that because in our last episode you talked about how 
at the time, nothing would, you said nothing in the world would scare you more than going into right. a movie theater. And, but you wanted to yep. do that so badly. And it's, uh, it's awesome. I built up the courage and I made it happen. <laughs> That's awesome. I wanted to mention something that we missed. Uh, uh, you know, I've been working my way back through the X Files again, and uh, I texted you this the other day. And something we missed when we did our Groundhog Day episode uh, is there is an episode of the X Files that is the Groundhog Day theme. It is uh, epi- It's called uh, Monday. Um, I forget what season. I bank I robber I texted episode. It to you a while ago. Yes, it's the oh, bank robber man. episode, and the and the Groundhog Day theme is from the perspective of the bank robber's girlfriend, right who's trying to get, first she tries to get Skinner's attention, then she tries to get Scully's attention, then she tries to get Mulder's attention, and somehow, through some cosmic thing, Mulder sort of retains the knowledge of the, the previous Because he's loop, Mulder, of course. And eventually, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it was actually, it was really fun to see uh, that type of... Uh, uh, See the X Files, you know, do do uh, the Groundhog Day thing. They do that all the time, though. You know, they've done the thing. Yeah. They've done. Um, they they do a ton of different like movie callbacks and stuff like that. I, I was thinking about this when I listened to the episode last week. I was like, I wonder if we're going to find a way to work an X Files episode into every single <laughs> into every episode. That Probably. should just be a regular question for us. That. Like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which X Files yeah. episode did they yeah. did they reference this movie? <laughs> yeah, and I mean for us, obviously it's. This one's going to be just the entire series of the X-Files. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. Awesome. Well, let's get into the thing. So, so today we right are on. talking about the, the world, the war of the worlds. Uh, specifically, we are going to use the 1953 version as our jumping off point, but. Much like when we did the Scrooge episode, uh, the Scrooged episode, we're we're sort of just going to be referencing the story in general, the the H.G. Wells uh, story. Um, and Mike has a lot more knowledge about all the different adaptations that have been done over the years. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to sort of talk about it broadly. Uh, but we're going to use the the fifty three version as our jumping off point. So let's do a quick. I'll just do a quick recap, and then we'll we'll dive in. Um, and I'm going to specifically talk about the 53 version here when I do the recap. Um, but I think I, I, you'll go into this, I'm sure, Mike. I don't yeah. think there's many uh, disparities between the different versions as far as the overall theme of what happens. But the the story is um, in the in the 53 version, uh, a comet or something comes down from outer space and crashes in California. Um, and at first, they don't know what it is. They think it's a meteorite. It's super hot. They can't get close to it. Eventually, a uh, scientist comes by to take a look. I believe he's a physicist. Um, and then uh, what happens is eventually the thing opens up, and uh, it's, it turns out it's an alien craft that has come here from outer space. Uh, the aliens come out, and they quickly start to heat ray everybody. Uh, they just, start to uh, melt just, everybody. <laughs> they get so murdery so fast. <laughs> very quickly. Very quickly. Like, no. <laughs> they do not wait to start killing everyone. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then you know, the army comes in. They try to fight these things. They cannot, um, they can't beat them because they have, you know, and I think uh, we'll get into this, but in the in this version, I really like the spacecraft models that they made for this are great. Like, I love that they vibe. They look so cool. Oh, they're so good. The the yeah, alien I want to build a model kit at one of those. Seriously, the the aliens on the other hand, eh, not su- oh, not yeah, super no, no, not crazy about their take on the aliens, but the spaceships, so cool. They have that retro vibe, that retro futuristic yeah. vibe. Yeah, and like is the sound effect, 
that like sound effect that they make when yes. the I, I don't know if you could edit it in, but when they're powering up the heat ray. We're friends. Yeah. Hey there. Open up. How they gonna understand us? We're talking sign language. They'll understand us all right. Sure. Sure? Everybody understands when you wave the white flag, you want to be friends? Hey there! Open up! Come on out! We're friends! That's right! We welcome you! We're friends! Yeah! Because when it's just kind of sitting there, it yes. almost sounds like a rattlesnake's tail. And then it has like, like, boom, 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 boom. Oh man, right, I just, right. I love it. Well, I, I love it, I love it. I read, I read, a, I did a quick, uh, brief look through and some trivia stuff. And I think, I don't know if it was that sound or when it's actually firing. They said it was like they recorded an electric guitar three times and then played it backwards. And that's what I believe made, it. uh, one of those sounds. Um, anyway, so the, the army comes in, they try to fight these things. They throw everything at them they can, but quickly they realize that they have like a force field around them. And in the movie, it actually, I think they did a pretty decent job of how they depicted it. It, it, it oh, yeah. When you see like the flashes and stuff, like you can sort of see this, uh, this transparent bubble around the ships, but it's not always there. And I don't know how they did it with special effects back then, but it's pretty well done. I think it is like it looks really cool. Oh, yeah. When, when we get to the point, uh, if you let me talk about adaptations, one of the things that's wild about the adaptations, because there's so many is each one adds something to the story that then you see other ones start to retain. Okay. So this was the first one where the aliens had shields. And if you gotcha. watch like the Tom Cruise one that came out in 2005, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're using a totally different style. They're using walkers like in the books, but they still have the shield. Uh, yeah, it's, it's right. a great effect. It's a great right. effect, especially for the time. Yeah. Um, so uh, anyway, so the army can't defeat them. Uh, eventually it gets to the point where the, uh, the government, the, the U.S. government decides that they're going to drop an atomic bomb on them. They drop the atomic bomb and it does absolutely nothing to the aliens. Um, simultaneously the the physicist has been he's like gotten lost at some point he's like off in a farmhouse at one point um he's also trying to find he like meets this woman uh that he's obviously has an affinity for um yeah and uh he so then he's spending part of the movie trying to track her and i want to add go ahead we get the we get the as we mentioned in in night of the living dead and it's way toned down in this one but we get the like old school scary movie woman has a total emotional freak out and the man has yeah. to like shake her and be like i just gotta hold shake her <laughs> yeah. oh my god i gotta shake so her bad. so you come so to bad. your senses woman oh my god <laughs> good lord it's not as bad as no uh night of the living dead i don't think. No, no 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 it's it's, it's, it's way better yeah it's it's not physically surprisingly because it's an earlier movie yeah yeah um but anyway, at the, at a certain point, the world sort of resigns to the fact that they are going to be annihilated. I think they say they have six days until the whole world is going to be annihilated. And then all of a sudden, in, in, in this version of the movie, uh, it sort of ends where they're in a church. Um, and they're all kind of everybody's praying and whatever. And then one by one, the spaceships start falling out of the sky and crashing. And then um, the sort of postscript, there's a, there's a voiceover that explains to you that the reason that they all started falling and crashing was because um, they had come down to Earth and they weren't prepared for our bacteria. So our bacteria mm-hmm. and our atmosphere had gotten into their systems. 
something that we're, you know, our immunities are built up to withstand. They could not withstand the tiniest microbes, you know, in our atmosphere. And that's, they got sick and died. And uh, that's sort of the the plot of this particular version. Um, I think you had said, aside from like the way, like with the church and stuff like that, uh, different adaptations handle standing a little differently, but it's always that microbes. Yeah. It's rare that I'll quote my dad, but to quote my dad on this one thing, because he, he and I share a love for this movie, and I told him I was watching the end, and he goes, yeah, those Martians forgot to bring their masks. And I was like, <laughs> oh, very funny. Touche. <laughs> COVID killed the Martians. Yeah. But yeah, it's always some version of that. that uh, and, and, and if we have time, like we'll talk about why this is actually a really uh, uh, poignant thing at the time. And then strangely enough, we've aged back into it being poignant again. But right, it's like they just didn't count on those germs. Germs got them. <laughs> and in some versions, it's like a very religious thing, and they're like, God sent the germs. And in other versions, they're like, science. You know, it's all. Right, right. Real quick, just in, in regards to this particular version, um, again, I really loved the uh, the, the models, the, the the miniatures that they used to make the, the, the spaceships. I, I read that those were actually made out of copper. And oh, wow. supposedly they don't exist anymore because after the movie was done, they donated them to a Boy Scout troop for a copper drive. And oh so they were, they were literally recycled, which is a shame because those they must have been really neat to like see oh, in person. Um, they look so cool. Like to me, they're, they're always going to be the iconic alien spacecraft. It's just such a fun design. Um, yeah. And it's, it's real clever too because like in the original um, books, they're not – flying saucers they're they're tripods they're walkers and they walk on three legs and if you watch the very first shot when it comes out of the out of the the asteroid that lands or meteor or whatever it is mm-hmm. um you can actually see three beams underneath it oh. and so they're like oh they they seem to be standing on so the idea was like they were walkers but they had legs made of energy and they couldn't get the effect right so then they were like yeah whatever they just kind of hover <laughs> it is what it is it's fine and it and it works great yeah, he says at one point straight up like they're balancing on I think he even says they're balancing on three points of magnetic field or what they're exactly. creating their own magnetic field and balancing. Yeah. 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 yeah it just oh, looks, sorry, looks great. Be- before I forget, did you pick up on right in the beginning when he shows up at the at the field there and then he's like they're waiting for it to cool down and he says he goes, "I need to go back to town to freshen up." He goes, "What's there to do in this town?" And the lady yes. goes, "Nothing." <laughs> <laughs> which calls back to our last episode where i said that that's, that's my big life lesson absolutely <laughs> she literally, they literally said like the exact phrase <laughs> oh my god it's great. so perfect and then of course like he ends up at square dance and there's a martian invasion so obviously something yes. interesting is going on yeah there was something to do oh my yeah god. yeah yeah that's great that's but overall I, I thought this movie was pretty fun man I thought, you know, uh, considering the time it was filmed, I thought it was pretty, you know, that those 50s movies and and TV shows and stuff always, there's just something, um, I felt like it was a Sunday afternoon and I was like sitting on my couch, you know, with a, with a TNT movie or something like that. You know, there's, I don't know, there's a nice, uh, cozy feeling about those old movies. And it's, it's fun. I I think this is, I mean, I think part of the reason I, I wanted to do this one is because I'm, I, you know, it's like a lifelong love for me. I'll say more about that in a second, but, um, we talked in the last episode about how you said you love those old, like black and white, uh, uh, sci-fi yeah. movies and like twilight zone episodes. And this is technicolor, right? And you can tell it's technicolor because everything is very mm-hmm. bright, but it's of a piece. Very it's bright. that same yeah. era of, I think it's this kind of cold war infused, um, 
fear of the unknown and it it makes a lot of uh fun science fiction that also plays out a little weird because there's yeah. a there's a there's a weird kind of 1950s conservatism that comes through um right but it's you know like everybody's <laughs> Like fighting a Martian invasion, Martian invasion, and they're wearing suits and ties. Right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, I dig it. Yeah. I dig it. No, I like this fun. one a lot. A I grew up was... on it. I remember watching it as a kid. Oh, really? The I've shit never out of me as a kid. Oh, oh yeah. interesting. I've never seen this uh, this particular version before. So this was fun. Oh yeah, me. that yeah. scene where the where the where the the three. I mean, when I was a little little kid, my dad showed it to me because I, I guess he thought it's not that scary. Um, hmm. But that scene where where the um, shortly after the asteroid has crash landed and that and it first opens up and the like periscope heat ray pops out and those three guys who I guess were supposed to be sheriff deputies <laughs> they like get the white flag and they walk up to it and they're like hey we're friends like yeah. we mean you no harm and then it just blasts them out of existence <laughs> that scared me so much really. That's funny. Oh my god! Yeah, it but just I love terrified that. me. I love that scene when they come back and they're literally like a, just a, an outline of ash on the ground in the yeah. shape of three humans. Exactly. <laughs> like somehow they right. simultaneously like got blasted and then their ashes fell back into a perfect line on the ground. Like. And 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 so here's the thing about that. So I every single time I've watched that, I've laughed at it and I thought it's hysterical. Because it's mm-hmm. such a dumb effect that you would have just these perfect outlines. Like, right. they look like chalk drawings of them made of ash. Yeah, yeah. However, however, to introduce a serious component, I have seen pictures. Um, uh, this is heavy, but I've seen pictures from, like, the aftermath of atomic explosions and stuff. Uh-huh. And there have been things where the initial blast is so bright that what it actually does is it burns the person's shadow into the ground right, or the wall right. behind them. Right. So that's yep. so. I, so then I was like, "Is that what they're yep. trying to do? Is it not that like their bodies were just reduced to ash, but actually that that the um, it's a degree of burn behind them? I don't know. Either way, right, maybe. But it's it, yeah, yeah, for yeah. what it is, it works great. Yeah, no, it's fun. It, it was a really fun. I, I, I like this movie a lot. It was fun. Yeah. So Good. let's I'm talk about. Tell like me. Tell me. Tell me some stories about uh, some of the different. Uh, Adaptations. I've seen the Tom Cruise version, which you know is fine. It's a it's a good uh, summer blockbuster yeah. style um, sure. jaunt. Uh, and then obviously the Orson Welles radio drama is is great oh, too. Yeah. Um, but but what other uh, you know adaptations? So yeah, I mean this is this is an interesting this is an interesting story because it seems to come around cyclically. There's been mm. so many adaptations. I'll tell you about a couple of my favorite. Um, and I've been thinking about it. Lately, for reasons we'll get into, but also I don't know if you noticed, the Pentagon has recently released a report on UFOs or what are they calling them now? UAPs or something? I'm not sure what it is. Right. But this thing where they're like, okay, it's not ours. Um, It's definitely technology that is more advanced than what is in common usage. It can do things that our stuff can't. And we're not saying it's aliens and we're not saying it's not aliens. (laughs) So it's the most like. Yeah. Is all I'm just saying is like this is a thing, right? People are not crazy to talk about it, and we don't know what right. it is. Um, which is which? which is by the way, I think me. I was going to say which. By the way, uh, I think it's way less scary if it is aliens to me. I think so too. If, if another country has that kind of technology and we are like that far behind, that's yeah, pretty terrifying. <laughs> it is. I, I agree. I agree. 
So, okay, so War of the World starts out with, this is a book that H.G. Rells wrote, uh, I think it came out in 1897, and as was often the case in those days, it didn't come out as one published book, it was serialized. Uh, it came out in segments um, in magazines, and it mm. basically invented the alien invasion genre, right? He was, okay. I think the story that I read at one point was he's sitting around with a friend and they were talking about, I don't know, like British forces fighting Zulus somewhere, and they were talking about just the radical uh, difference in the technology of warfare. And he said mm. it'd be like if, you know, something like if little green men just dropped out of the sky today <laughs> with super advanced weaponry. And then that that led to the idea. So that uh, was the original. It's been popular forever. It's been turned into comics and, and, and a lot of other adaptations. The most famous adaptation, right, would be, what was it, like 1938, Orson Welles... Um, had a radio show, and they decided, depending on who you talk to, as a Halloween mm. prank, and if you listen to the audio, they actually say it's a Halloween prank at the end, to right. do this as a series of news broadcasts that would interrupt the supposed show that people thought they were toning into, which was a musical concert, and actually tell the story of like, oh my god, this strangest thing, we're seeing flashes coming from Mars, and then, oh my god, strangest thing, an asteroid has fallen um, somewhere in New Jersey, which is crazy because right. it, it's close to the places that I grew up. Right. And then, and then, of course, the heat ray comes out of the asteroid. They break in to say that, um, or meteor, I suppose. Then uh, the walkers and so on and so forth. Right. And so it supposedly scared the bejesus out of, a, out of a lot of people who thought it was real. We can go back and talk about that later. Mm -hmm. But there's conflicting reports about how much of a panic it actually caused. But right. the bottom line is some people thought it was real. So right. maybe the most famous adaptation there. Then we, a few years later, and, well, and, and in 1938, right, there was a lot of terror of right. impending war with Germany, which, of course, right. did happen. Yeah. So, um, so that fueled the hype. Mm -hmm. Then uh, we have this movie, which we just watched, another one of my favorite adaptations. That's 1953. Mm -hmm. uh, really, really good attempt to do a big budget um, yeah. expression of it. And also, like, taps into a lot of very intense Cold War paranoia right. of, you know, uh, the United States being invaded. Um, another, another adaptation that I love, <laughs> and I just found out that it exists a few weeks ago, but it has now become my all-time favorite, is there is a 1978 rock concept album where a guy <laughs> named Jeff Wayne took the story of the War of the Worlds and he turned it into like a funky rock disco wow. um, uh, opera. And it is, <laughs> I, I, this came out the year after I was born and I have been denied 43 years of enjoyment <laughs> of it. Um, it's Ryan, I love it so much here. I'm going to play you a clip and then we'll keep going. You can cut this out later. Yeah. Tell me if you can hear this. Last years of the 19th century, that human affairs were being watched from the timeless worlds of space. No one could have dreamed that we were being scrutinized as someone with a microscope studies creatures that swarm and multiply in a drop of water. Few men even considered the possibility of life on other planets. This is the opening line of the and book, yet, and most of the, the movies. Gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this Earth with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their plans against us. I 
<laughs> I love everything about this album so much. Oh my god. I have been listening to this on an infinite loop for the last two weeks. <laughs> oh my god. And on and on it goes. Oh my god. It's fantastic. Um, wow. It's so good. You oh my god. absolutely have to listen to this. All right. <laughs> You gotta oh listen God, I'm to crying it. And so here there's like I, a full voice cast. I like. I did not expect that at all. It's, like that's hilarious. It's it's so good. I sent it to so many friends. I was like, you gotta listen to this, and everybody's like, okay. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Just listen to the first track because I did so not amazing that I, upbeat like disco oh, beat. I did not expect that at all. <laughs> it's it's so good oh, God. it's so good um one of my all-time favorite seriously everybody find it jeff wayne's war of the worlds it's on itunes it's amazing it'll change your life uh that's oh, a great God. one so here's something i bet you don't know in 1988 they actually produced a tv show that was a sequel to the 1953 movie we just watched oh wow and so the crazy thing is, it's like a, again, driven by like um, late 80s, end of the Cold War paranoia. Um, it's a horror sci-fi show. And so the premise of it is, the Martians all died. We took all their bodies out of the flying machines. We locked them in oil drums and we disposed of all of them in uh, like essentially like toxic waste plants. Okay. And then shenanigans ensue and the show opens with some of the Martians start to wake up. Oh, wow. And... They are redesigned to be more frightening looking, and they have this ability to, like, grab humans and and take over their bodies. Oh. Um, so then what will happen is you'll have characters walking around who look like humans, but there's actually a Martian inside them. And what happens is they slowly start to physically decay the longer the Martian. It's very scary. Wow. <laughs> um yeah, and they got away with a lot of it because they shot it up in Canada, which let them kind of get around some standards. So they did two seasons of that show. It's not the flying machines. It's it's monsters running around. Super dark. Huh. The good guys do not win. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the, it's a different kind of an invasion. So that's a, a fun. Um, it's just different. If you ever yeah. get a chance and you're you're down for some really 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 low budget eighties sci fi horror, at least watch the pilot. Okay. Um, then what else? There's all kinds of weird stuff. There's a lot of tabletop games. There's a lot of video games. Um, one of my favorite things is in 1998, they did a graphic novel, which is Superman versus the War of the Worlds. And so they set it in 1930 when Superman debuted. And Hmm. so it's that old kind of like original, it's done exactly in the art of the first run of Superman comics. And so he's in Metropolis learning to be Superman and the alien walkers show up and it's really fun. Um, and they, and it's like a slug fest. It's super, totally, totally, uh, a really fun read. When yeah. I picked it up, I was like, this will be weird. And then I actually ended up loving it. And then in 2005, three different versions of war of the worlds came out at the same time. So you have the Tom Cruise, Steven Spielberg version that most of our listeners will know, which mm-hmm. is pretty good, pretty good adaptation. And actually in some ways, very faithful to the original book, to the feel and the spirit of it. Right. And also, my favorite version of the walkers ever. Like yeah, I think 
in the in the in the Spielberg movie they look like they do in the book. Yeah. And they're scary. Yeah. Like there's that that movie scared me. Yeah. Um I have this very vivid memory of I was watching it at a drive-in on the 4th of July and mm. there's a scene where there's helicopters fighting the walkers and as I was watching that at the drive-in there were fireworks going oh, off because wow. it was the 4th of July and a, and an actual helicopter flew by really low and wow. it felt like I was inside the movie. That's awesome. Um but the same year, um, Asylum Productions, which is one of those straight-to-video uh, <laughs> movie companies that would, like, when Transmor- Transformers came out, they would make a movie called Transmorphers. Right, right. And then, you know, Pacific Rim came out, and they'd call it, like, Pacific Basin, and it'd be the yeah. cheap knockoff. They did a 2005 H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds, which stars C. Thomas Howell, and is oh. actually, surprisingly, not that bad. Wow. Um, I saw an article once that compared that in the Tom Cruise version and they gave it 10 criteria trying to decide which one was better. And in the end, they concluded that they were so evenly matched that the only thing that made the Asylum version better is that it had nudity and the Tom Cruise version <laughs> didn't. So they're like, hey, we're going to call this one for uh, C. Thomas Howell. Wow. Um, but that's actually not bad. It has a sequel, which is unwatchable. Okay. Uh, I've watched a lot of bad adaptations. I've never been able to get through the sequel. And then... Um, uh, a company called Pendragon Films attempted to do a faithful adaptation, which was set in the 1800s, and they just had no budget for it. But it's mm. like a fun – I'll say more about that in a second. But it's wild because you had three different versions wow. come out the same year. So it's worth like yeah. pondering at some point what was going on in 2005 that had people thinking about War of the Worlds. And I think I know, but we'll get to okay. that. <laughs> uh, there's a There's a – there's an animated movie that came out in 2012 called War of the Worlds Goliath, mm. and it's like a sequel. So it's in the future, and humanity has retro-engineered their own walking machines. Okay. And then the Martians show up, and they fight. Um, last year, two years ago, the BBC finally, uh, they did a, a miniseries where they mm-hmm. really attempted to set it in the 1800s. So it's an attempt to tell the original book, and it's fine. It's okay. fine. It's I not saw bad. That. Like you could yeah. watch it once. Okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's not I mean the, the budget is good. The, the it looks cool. There's some parts of it I felt a little clunky, but it's not bad. And then there's an ongoing show right now on Fox and Epics called War of the Worlds that starts with a different kind of an alien invasion. Mm-hmm. It's it's barely War of the Worlds, but it is actually I think a decent show. Just very very bleak. Uh, and then a couple people have done, there's one called War of the World's a True Story, where they try to shoot it as like a documentary. If you like oh. are watching a documentary about World War One or World War Two, they shoot it as this like retroactive documentary of like the war with the Martians in the 1900s. <laughs> so those are kind of fun. And then last but not least, just this past year, Audible did a full cast adaptation of H.G. Wells' original um, book. Hmm. But they incorporated all the changes that Jeff Wayne makes in his musical album and no. then score it to his music. No. And that is so much fun. It's absolutely amazing. <laughs> so they, they what happens in the story, in the original story is his wife disappears. And then at one point they switch and um, his brother narrates part of the story. So in, hmm. in uh, the Jeff Wayne version, they just make the second character his wife. And it's okay. about the two of them trying to get back together. And actually, I think it's an improvement on the story. It's pretty Interesting. great, Interesting. Um, and less of a less of a sausage fest. But um, <laughs> yeah, man. And, and we could go on. There's people love the story and they love adapting yeah. it. And there yeah. is something I love about every one of the versions I just mentioned. There's so much fun. 
God, especially that album. But yeah, yeah. man, I, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Speaking of a sausage fest, the Orson Welles version has zero female characters in the in the uh, radio adaptation. Yeah. Um, that's the one thing I like yep. jumped out at me right away when I listened the other day. I was like, yeah. just are there no females in this uh, world that they're portraying? <laughs> you know. But I will yeah. say that that was super fun to listen to. Um, we can talk about this at depth. I think. Oh yeah, and um, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, and we should say that the Orson Welles radio recording. It's about an hour long, yeah. and you can find the entire thing on YouTube for free, and it is legit entertaining. I strongly recommend listening to it. I, I listened to that again the other day, and I really, really enjoyed it. I always so, enjoy it when I listen to it. Yeah, and I, I listened to um, – there was a podcast that I had listened to a while ago. They actually – I think they've released it twice. They did uh, – Radiolab did a – they did a live show I think about 12 years ago. Where they did a live, uh, yeah. that, uh, uh, you know, people in a theater and they talked about this. And then what they did a couple years ago, I think it was the 80th anniversary. Would that be right? Um, they did a, they did a rebroadcast of it and they sort of updated it oh, with yeah. new information. And they talk about in depth what you were mentioning earlier, this idea that when it, you know, for a long time, people thought that what happened was when he broadcast this, like the whole country lost its mind and was like going crazy and, and there was rioting. Yeah. Um, and what they've come to people prob- jumped off water. I, I grew up, I grew up in the area that that took place because it takes place um, in New Jersey and then right. into New York City. And so it's almost an urban legend growing up. I remember my dad telling me about it, and he said, "Oh, people were jumping off water towers. Right. Um, people were running around with guns. One guy shot a water tower because he thought it was a Martian walker, like, right, and so on right. and so forth. Yeah. Right. The story is that it was intense panic." Right. But I think what they're coming to realize is that <clears throat> probably there were people that 100% did fall for it and did panic and freak out, but it wasn't as widespread as as uh, as we've believed for a long time. And I think what, they're, what they were talking about in that podcast was how, at the time, the reason we believe that is because I think it was the newspapers like a few weeks later started t- like taking polls. And, yeah, and, 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 these- and there were headlines – there were headlines the next day that said that there had been massive panic. Like the the newspapers made a huge story of this immediately and people were interviewing Orson Welles and they were like, did you do this on purpose? Did you realize? And they were telling all these these crazy stories of insane terror that gripped people. Um, right. And then later there were polls that caused them to question if the terror was actually as intense as they made it sound. Right. But, and what, what the, the story now is what they're realizing is that it was sort of, it was the newspapers were afraid of radio, right? And they were doing this on purpose. Oh yeah. Uh, to try to say like, look at radio, look at how bad this is, what it did to people. It freaked people out. It caused this yep. mass hysteria. You can't trust radio. Um, which I think absolutely in that radio lab thing, I think they, Orson Welles even says that he was sort of doing that in a way, like sort of like yeah. saying like, yo, be careful of radio. Like you, you don't know what to trust, you know, which I think is well, sort of the biggest art is the big overarching theme of that entire broadcast is trust yeah. and is uh, like, yeah, where do we put our trust? You know? Um, well, and that's the thing because it's, it's easy to fool people. And right. I think that's exactly that's that's so so one of the things like so doing a bunch of research on it, it seems like the reality of it is somewhere in the middle. Right. There was legitimate panic and there was legitimate terror. And there were people who like, you know, headed up into the mountains and and, you know, they tell the story of the couple who was on their honeymoon and then just came home and so on and right. so forth. But it wasn't as 
the panic that the newspapers created about what happened was more intense than the panic of the initial event itself. Yeah. And that idea of, right, exactly, the, the, the radio had been pulling audience away. It seems like everyone's been murdering newspapers forever. <laughs> and yet here we are, like, almost a century later, and they're still hanging on. And we're right. still like, newspapers are going to be a thing of the past because of the internet. Right. Uh, and apparently they were saying the same thing about radio. radio. Mm-hmm. And, right, it was their chance to take a shot and say, like, look, we have journalistic integrity, but look at this hoax. And And I think... Orson Welles was right. He wasn't going pro-newspaper. He was saying it's easy to fool people. It's really easy to fool people. Right. And if this isn't more true now, he did it. He did an hour-long production. You can fool people with a meme now, right? right. Oh, totally. Like, literally. You can put a false fact on a meme and drop it online and th- and spin people out. Um, so I think, I think there's a very prescient uh, and timely reminder in how yeah. that plays out. Um, and you know, it is, it is worth mentioning in the actual book that they said one thing wrong in the radio lab, I think. And they said, you know, there's no actual reporter in the original, um, HG Wells story. And that might be true, but I thought there was. And in some versions of the story, the, the protagonist is a newspaper reporter. And that's why he goes to, he goes there specifically to cover it. So, again, this thing of um, when you read the story and you watch different versions of it, uh, how do I say this? One of the things the story will often point to is propaganda Mm -hmm. and how that how that plays into the unfolding, you know, the, the, the statements the government's making, the opinions that people have. The funny thing I think about the 1953 version, the version that we just watched is propaganda is not a major component of the story unless you accept the fact that the story itself does have a lot of God and country propaganda built into the DNA of what it is. Well, there, there's a funny, yeah, speaking of which there's, so there's a, the way, the way it ends in the 53 version is they're literally in a church right. and there's the narrator comes on right. and says like, because they're all praying and he says something like, I, I'm going to paraphrase, but I think he says like, we were all yeah. praying for God to intervene, and then God sent the microbes yeah. in His good will, right, and saved us all. You know, um, so that was right. kind of funny, like the right. very heavy-handed, like like Christian uh, leaning there. Yes, um, and then the other one that's kind yeah. of stuck out to me was. Um, I don't know if you saw like when they're talking about how it's like around the world and they're they're sending planes back and forth to communicate because radio doesn't yeah. work and all this stuff and they say like, they say that basically the USA is the only one that could possibly do this like all the other countries have fallen but somehow miraculously the USA where this invasion started yeah. they're they're the they're going to save us all the americans we're strong oh my you know God. like that was kind of funny well the, the funny thing is you you get a hint of that in um the ultimate war of the world's clone that most people know even if they don't know the war of the worlds is the movie independence day right, right. um and and right you get that in the one scene where they're like sending information around the world and they're like the americans are going to fight back we're bloody well time <laughs> like finally they're going to save us all and that kind Dude. of it's so funny um, okay, I'm going to try not to go off the deep end here, but it's so funny because, like, this story is, in its core, 
the uh, the original novel is a critique of imperialism and colonialism. That's what it is, right? right? So you have the British, who their empire has gone all over the world. They're 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 fighting Aborigines with Gatling guns, okay? Right. And um, H. G. Wells is trying to create a way to get British people to think about what that would feel like, right? Right? What would it feel like if people just dropped out of the sky? And their technology was so superior to our own. There's a line in the book where he says that was no more a battle than a than ants have battle with a boot, right? right. Something like that. Yeah. And to to one get an experience of what that would feel like to be so completely outclassed, yeah. and then two, um, Spielberg said this in 2005, and I think this is the reason the movies caught on again in 2005. Is he said after uh, September 11th. After the World Trade Center disaster and after wars with Iraq and Afghanistan, he said, I just wanted to introduce this feeling of an American refugee experience yeah. so that we can get people to think – like they don't even know it, but we're getting them to think about what that must feel like. Now, we saw some of that after the towers came down on September 11th and you saw people fleeing New York City on right, foot. Right, right. And um, there's, a, there's a line – in the book and in almost every adaptation, this is always the thing is like people panic and then they set out. Right. And in the, in the original version, they set out on foot. And then in the, in subsequent adaptations, they're always trying to find a way to get people to set out on foot. So a lot of times like there's an EMP or the Martians do something and it knocks out our technology and it knocks out our communication. And you get back to that, picking up the people you care about, picking up the stuff that you can hold on to and running. Right. And so it's, it is, uh, uh, one, getting into that experience, and then two, trying to get you to tap into the fact that when you are living in the most powerful nation in the world, you have military all over the world engaging people with lesser resources and technology all over the world, and you literally never think about it in the yeah. course of your ordinary day. Yep. Um, you It never even occurs to you. Right? Like you and I, whatever. Um, we don't do politics on this podcast, but I think there's something like, what do we have? Like 500 military bases around the world. Yeah. Uh, the United States does. But it's just, it's the average person doesn't ever think about it. And so he, he brings that in. And then when, when the humans are going, like, why is this happening to us? It's, it's a, a, a backwards way of asking the question just because you have the technology to completely dominate people, does it mean that you should? Right. But what's so funny is how quickly that story can get co-opted by yes. the very thing it's trying to critique. <laughs> right. And then it becomes this like God and country, God is on our side. Look, right. God wants us to win too. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so God sent the microbes or finally the Americans are going to fight back. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, Bill Pullman's <laughs> speech in Independence Day, which is... Dude, <laughs> that, I was just <laughs> I thinking about that. This. <laughs> Today we celebrate our Independence Day. Yeah, and they all cheer exactly. and everybody's losing their minds. <laughs> yeah. And and I will say a lot of people when they uh when they watch a lot of adaptations of of the War of the Worlds, everybody says the same thing. It's really good and then it kind of falls apart in the third act. But that's the book, right? Right. The book is everything is done. Humanity loses. There's one really, really great scene in the book where an ironclad ship fights a few of the walkers. And it's like they all get destroyed, the walkers and the ship. But Ooh. they were like, that's the last thing we had. Yeah. And and that's it. The 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 organized resistance of humanity is over. 
Right. And the Martians win, and then they get sick and die. Right. Um, and the reason that happens is because the other alternative for him to say what he wanted to say would be they just win, and the book ends. And no one – you can't do that. So I, I – so it it's always plays out that way. Right. It's about hubris, that thing of like no matter how big you are, there's always somebody bigger. And then even for the Martians, there's somebody bigger and there's somebody smaller. It's the germs. Right. But um, the ending of Independence Day is no less ridiculous right. than this. Probably more so. They're like, we figured out one. They're coming down all over the world. But but we like that one better because like we rally and we figure it out. And a guy with an Apple and- computer gives an advanced alien tech civilization a virus. And it's all great. And Randy Quaid drives a, a jet through the center of the... I know. <laughs> Hello, boys. Hello, Remember boy. me? Or whatever he says. <laughs> oh, God, that movie. I love it. Don't get me wrong. But... Oh, yeah, that's a fun, that's a fun yeah. ride. And, and totally this story with none of the cultural nuance at all. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, so, okay, so I'm like clearly tipping my hand on what I think this is all about. Um yeah. What do you what do you see in this? I mean, there's so many things. I think the story is actually becoming more relevant as time goes on, not less. But like, yes. what stood out to you? Well, I, I want to talk about real quick. Uh, we sort of touched on this a, a few minutes ago, but the Orson Welles version. I think there's a lot to yeah. say there about what went down. Um, you know, I think yeah. in that. So if you listen to the radio broadcast, which I, again, Mike said it, you definitely should listen. It's a super fun ride. So good. The way they so did good. it in that, it is split into two acts with a, with an actual intermission in the middle. There isn't yeah. where they literally say, we're going to take an intermission break right now. And so the yeah, first- Yeah, I think by the second act, you have to know it's not real. Well, that's what I was going to say. In the first half of it, okay. it's I could see how maybe at the time, if you had tuned in in the middle- Again, this is what was it? What year was it? Thirty eight. Um, so yeah, so like radio's newish. You know what I mean? Like people are still. Uh, I I I think in the Radio Lab podcast they talked about how this idea of breaking in with news was a very relatively new thing that people were just getting used to, and that's what he was playing on. Um, and so I can think in in, in the first half. I could see how people at the time possibly could have fallen for it. You know, the second half after the intermission yeah. is it's just a narrator talking about what what he experienced, right? And so there's no way it, that part, if you came in then, you wouldn't think that it was actually happening. Um, there are a lot of tells right. in the beginning of that, um, like the timeline of the way things are going in the first half of the of the Orson Welles version is way accelerated. Like the way they're jumping from like, they're interviewing like a, a, a military commander here. Then they're off with the physicist over here. Then they're off with a news broadcaster over here. And like a, a couple of times they do think they tip their hand. Like they literally do say like something like it's been two hours since and you know, dot, dot, yeah. dot. And the broadcast has only been on for 20 minutes at that point. So, um, yeah, well, and even the fact that they see flashes on Marge and Marge, Marge, Marge. they see flashes on Marge, <laughs> Mars. And five minutes later, right. They're crash landing right. in New right. Jersey. I will say though, as far as like audio production goes, there are a couple of really cool things that they do in in the Orson Welles version. One of which is the, the yeah. Radio Lab talks about this, uh, where the guy at one point, the the broadcaster, he plays it off as though it's real because at one point he starts talking and then he stops. He says, "Wait, are we on? Are we live?" 
and then he keeps and they they say yeah. yes and then he keeps talking so that's a really cool like subtle way to draw people into the the yeah. the, the, the fiction of it um the other thing that, yeah. that they did in that, which was great, was there's one point where they're interviewing somebody. There's two more things. There's one point where they're interviewing somebody, and they tell him, like, oh, get a little closer to the mic. Come in. And he's, like, far away. And he gets closer. And then, no, no closer, yeah. closer. Come in. Come in. It's a farmer, I think. They're interviewing the farmer. And that was really good. And yeah. then the third thing was there's somebody else they're interviewing at one point. Forget what it is, and I forget why it happens, but they actually cause feedback to happen because it's like this, like they're just like trying to get there and they're trying to get the scoop or whatever. And feedback comes into the the mix because they don't have everything set up right. And they, I think all those are really, yeah. they did a really great yeah. job of trying to make it feel as real as as possible. Oh yeah, and the other thing they do is is um, this plays back into our last episode, which you know I said to you, it, the theme of the last episode was what you don't see is scarier than what you do, right? And I think. I think they make the limitations of what they can do effective by cutting away. Like right. there's a scene where I think the military's there and they're like, something is happening, something's happening. And then it just goes dead. Dead. Yeah. And it's like nothing. They do that twice actually. And then someone else comes on. Yeah. Someone else it. comes on to tell you like th- they were completely wiped out. And so you yeah. don't hear the battle. You hear the silence and the silence is, is right. more suspenseful. And right. then the aftermath is they're like, you know, a, a force of 7,000 soldiers was just wiped out and, there's right. never been such a one-sided defeat in the history of modern warfare, that kind of a thing. Yeah, um, totally. Just one one fighting machine wiped out 7,000 soldiers. Totally. And and the thing that, like, stuck out to me, um, again, I'm going to keep referencing it just because I just listened to it, like, yesterday. But in Radiolab, yeah. they, they talk about how afterwards they had done some, like, polling and, and, and interviewed people about people that did sort of fall for it. Um Mm-hmm. And they they asked them like, well, what caused? What made you think it was real? And like a, a high percentage of these people apparently said, when they brought the expert in, when they brought the scientist in, that's yeah. when I decided, well, this must be real because there's an expert there now, you know. And to me, yeah. in the world we're living now, that was a fake expert, right? It was literally a fictional yeah. expert. Yeah. And in the world we're living in now. More and more people are falling for fictional experts. You know, we don't have to go back. We go back it's, a year to some of these quote unquote documentaries yeah. and stuff that were coming out about COVID. Um, and people were believing this stuff only to find out later that, you know, the people that were spewing this stuff, like what, the, the one group of guys, they were like chiropractors. They had like no immunology training at all. And, you know, yeah. like, so oh, it speaks volumes to well, our and, gullibility. And there, like, yeah. Sorry, we keep getting our, our internet is a little weird today. I know Ryan and I. You guys haven't figured up. We keep interrupting each other because we're in a very slight delay. Yeah. I blame it on the Martians. Um, speaking as someone with like, uh, I remember before I got my doctorate, I would see people who had PhD after their name, and I would think, oh my god, these people just they know so much. Now I'm on the other side of the curtain, and I'm like, nope, not at all. <laughs> like it means you did the work, yeah. and in theory, I, I will say like. It, if anything, I've never been so convinced of my ignorance and how much I don't know. Right. Because that's the thing about expertise is when you realize how much time and effort it takes to be relatively certain about a very small, specific set of facts, you realize how much uncertainty there really is. And in, in, in every field, right? So religious studies, like my area, there's so many things that experts have said that they just got wrong. Right. and then And then, like, it becomes a thing— and you have to – I'll give you a really, really dumb example. Um, Moses and the children of Israel are being pursued by Pharaoh and his army, 
and they come to a body of water that they have to cross. What body of water did they cross? The Red Sea. Most people will tell you they crossed the Red Sea. Right. <laughs> it is a common and undisputed fact that that is a mistranslation. They cross the Reed Sea. Right. <laughs> but, and, and scholars know this in every field. Like it's not a – like if I pull my Oxford NSR, or NRSV off the shelf, it's going to say Reed Sea. And there yeah. might be a small note that says, you know, from such and such time to such and such time, this text was misinterpreted as Red Sea. Everyone knows it's not the Red Sea. They don't translate it as the Red Sea in other cultures. Um, it's the Reed Sea. Right. But because that was a thing, it's a cultural fact now that is actually very, very hard to dislodge. Right. And I've met people who will argue tooth and nail that you're trying to change the Bible – <laughs> and you just can't get them to, to – they're like, no, but look, it says it in this book. It says it in my, my King James Version that was published on such such time. And I'm like, I know, but that's a English language problem, and it's not a big deal. Who cares if it was the Red Sea or the Reed Sea? That's just something people are invested in because it's a cultural story. What happens when there's real value and consequence or something that affects how I live my life or something that affects whether or not I feel like I need to wear a mask? Or whether right. or not I should engage in social distancing or, well, or, or the kind of relationships and sexual practice that I should be, quote, unquote, allowed to engage in. I mean, it gets yeah. real complicated real fast, um, the <clears throat> war of expertise that we live in and have for quite some time. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to articulate this well, but I think the distinction that I think is hard for people to wrap their heads around, you know, we're living in a time where – Q and conspiracy theories and all this stuff is like super hot right now, you know? Um, yeah. And the, and the big thing that like, I think it's like the phrase that, you know, Q followers say is like, do your own research, right? Do your own research. Yeah. The problem is, and I think your, your buddies over at the, the, the center for action and comp, what is it? Center for action and contemplation. Um, center for action and contemplation. Yeah, your yeah. buddies Brian McLaren, um, Jackie Lewis, they did the podcast. Brian McLaren, um, yeah. Um, Learning How to See was their podcast, right? I'm on the second season of that podcast. Did you know that? I did not know that. I kid you not. Learning How to See season two, I'm in it. Oh. I'm not well, in I'm, a lot of it, but I'm there in the background. Yeah. Oh, well, I'm super excited to listen because True story. that first season that they did was really great. It was all about biases and the different types of biases that we have. Yep. And like... <clears throat> The thing about conspiracy theories or about literally anything um, is, you know, you can find something that fits your bias. If you're trying to do, quote unquote, do your own research, you can find an expert, Absolutely. quote unquote, that will agree with whatever uh, cockamamie thing you got going on, you know? And I think that's what we've been seeing a lot lately. Uh, there's um, another podcast I listen to called The Last Archive, which is really good. You should check it out. Um, the, it's by this uh, woman named Jill Lepore, and she's a historian. And uh, so the first season was, uh, she was, the theme was trying to find out, like trying to, she set it up as though it was like a murder mystery and the, 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 the murder victim was truth. Yeah. So she's trying she, so the theme of the, the series was who killed truth. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the second season was, she's talking more about the rise of doubt in our culture and, yep. and how that's contributed. It's all about what we understand, what we know, and what we don't. And the last episode of the second season, I, it's great that it's all very uh, uh serendipitous that this yeah. is all that we're doing this episode the last episode of the last of the second season she had this guy on Stephen shapen who's uh, he wrote a book called the social history of truth um he was talking about how we don't ever know anything alone 
in a vacuum. Yes. That, that all of our knowledge is collective knowledge. It's, it's like we can't really know anything without other people. Um, mm-hmm. And then they were talking about sort of like this idea of like consensus, like the idea of like that's why we have the scientific method. That's why things are peer reviewed, right? Like yep. we, the, the, the things we should be putting our trust in are things that can be proven over time, not just some cockamamie scheme um, from, <laughs> you know, some wackadoodle, you know, quote unquote expert, you know? Yeah. Well, so so uh, you mentioned the center and Brian. So one of the things Richard Rohr talks about a lot, and it's not his idea, but I think he's using it in a creative way, is this this um, idea called the cosmic egg. I don't remember who came up with it, mm-hmm. but it's this idea that there are multiple layers of uh, story and what informs the story we find ourselves in and how we find meaning. So there's my story, there's our stories, and then there's the story. Um, and that those things are always in dynamic interaction with each other and you can't get to any one of them if you don't consider the other two. And even the, the story of like the true story, if you look at it, um, objectively, or if you look at it mystically, like which we're prone to do in, in my corner of the world, it's not something you can know concretely. Right. And that's where, um, this is why comparative religious studies and archetypal studies are so valuable is it's, it's not a way to say like, oh, all religions believe the same thing. It's a way to say, here's someone using this metaphor, and here's someone else in a completely, totally different religious system using a similar metaphor, and here's right. someone in a different time, in a different culture, in a different system using yet another similar metaphor. So we can we can hypothesize that they're all describing a similar phenomena and truth that right. is relatively universal in its nature. But right. we can't necessarily know it Precisely. So we have these different comparative metaphors that help us start to wrap our head around it. Um, does it, But the moment that you say, and what it really means is this, and you create a new theory that you th- reduce the other ones and put them in subservience to, you've lost it. Right. Like there is, there's a lot going on. And that's the thing with truth. Like is, is truth, what is truth? Is truth a set of facts or is it an orientation towards the world or is it a mystery we can't quite know? What is doubt? Like doubt is a pickaxe. It's either a pickaxe that excavates truth or it's a pickaxe that destroys the concept of it. Exactly. Just depending on how you use it. Exactly. Um, yeah. And so that, that I, I, you're, I, I really like what you're saying because you're taking me into an element of this story that I've not thought about before, which is when you read the book, the book is communicated as a firsthand memoir that has been left for someone else to read, I think. Right. And, and I always think of it as, no, no, this is happening firsthand to someone, but I, I never think of the reader as a character in the story. Mm. So like when you're listening to a radio broadcast, when you're reading the book, when you're the audience who's removed from the events in all the different film adaptations, you don't know what's going on. All you have is what people are trying to tell you. Right. And it's terrifying. Right. And, we maybe on the other side of COVID more so than ever before in our culture and our lifetime have a taste of what that actually feels like. Right. Right. Yeah. Where, where there's this thing and it's like, this is dangerous. Yep. You can't see it. Yep. If you're, you know, neither one of us, medical profession, scientific background, you have to choose what set of experts you believe. Yeah. The bottom line is do your own research. But if you want to believe something, anything you want to believe, you will find someone on the internet who's telling you that it's true. Just like if I'm like, I could literally think of anything. I want a cat playing a xylophone. Guarantee you in 10 seconds, I can find videos of a cat playing a xylophone. 
Right. Same thing. If I want someone to tell me that that COVID is an extraterrestrial weapon sent here to weaken our species and 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 uh, and destabilize our, our societal infrastructure, I'll bet you I can find someone out there who's saying yeah. that. Maybe and I think, that's actually what it is. Well, and that, but that's oh, yeah. I, but I think the key there is to remember. Again, it's to me, it's about the larger consensus because, like you said, this is this is the thing that that. Yeah, that you have to take away from something like this, what we've all gone, gone through. We are not experts, right? Right. I'm not. I, I remember a, a friend of ours posted something one time that like kind of rubbed me the wrong way. He posted like, "Who made Dr. Fauci king of science?" or something like that. Um, I think science did it. And my response was, I, I don't know, schooling. Uh, the fact that he's been in this position for decades, like he's dedicated his entire life to studying this thing and sure he might be personally wrong about this or that thing but when you look at the consensus across the world of scientific study if the majority of those folks are saying something i'm going to trust the people with the expertise you know and again they yeah. might be wrong but there's a way higher probability that they will be right versus some again some random um, outlier that is just spewing some crazy theory, you know, and that's um, I don't know. I yeah. think we have to be well, careful nowadays because, like you said, we can be skewed by memes. Like that's how easy it's getting, you know. We can be uh, persuaded by memes, and I think now we have to, as a living in this social media landscape, I feel like it, we have a higher responsibility to do our due diligence and try yeah. to really be uh, smart about our, our decision making processes. Well, it's tough too. One of the things I think about a lot um, is that we live in the information age, so we have access to so much information. I don't. I don't think that's made us smarter, though. No. And I think. I think because a lot of us psychologically associate access to information with being with smart, competent understanding of that information. Yeah. Which is they're not the same thing. Number one, just because I can find information doesn't mean I understand it. Number two, a lot of people don't even bother to find it. Like there's this right. thing of like the, the knowledge of the world is at my fingertips. And that makes me feel safe because right. it makes me feel like I have the knowledge of the world. And then I just stop thinking. Mm. Um, and it's a it's a weird time to be alive. You know, I'm going to just keep bringing in the religious angle. But it's like I know very, very intelligent people um, who are high functioning, good at life and good at the world who can sit down and give you a long list of reasons and a long list of experts that they default to to prove to you beyond any uh, question that the world is, pick a number, 3,000, 6,000 years old, and that God created everything in seven literal days, you know, ab about three to five millennia ago. Right. And hell, I mean, there's a creation museum that you can drive yeah. to with lots of exhibits, <laughs> and, and, it, and it contradicts everything in the Natural History Museum, right? right. But it's, it's wild. And the kind of, like, proliferation of, I will say, faux experts who who create a system that allows people to hear what they want to hear. And also, I think, I also think like, you know, and it, from a different point of view, I think that matters too, because I think we always need to have a different voice in the conversation. Yes. yes. But, um, yeah, man, it's wild. But scrutiny it's is wild. key in that. Uh, when you have yeah. other voices, you need to have the scrutiny to look at it with, you know, objective eyes to say, is this, yeah. is this something that holds weight? Because of course, if we don't have dissent, then, then what kind of society are we living in, right? Like we need right, that dissent, absolutely. of course. Absolutely. But, but, but if that absolutely. dissent is, is, is just for the sake of dissent and yeah. not for the sake of progress, 
you know, one way or the other, um, that's, I think where we get, things get a little bit, uh, dangerous, you know? Yeah. And, and in, in, um, in religious thinking, you know, that's why there's always been, there's two types of theology. You have apophatic theology and cataphatic theology. Cataphatic theology is the theology of what we can know and can say. Mm-hmm. And then apophatic theology is the theology of what we can't know and what we can't say. Right. And all of apophatic theology basically comes down to this one very simple thing that Joseph Campbell was so good at saying, which is we can never communicate anything except in metaphor. Yeah. We can never go beyond metaphor, especially when it comes, I mean, I would say in general, and then Campbell would say when it comes to like spiritual things, and that's why he, he you know, used mythology as, as his operant metaphor to talk about everything. Right. Um, the things that matter most, spiritual things, religious things, it's all metaphor. That doesn't mean yeah. you throw it away. Right. It's just, that's what we have right. to function in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't want to confuse Apple maps with the real place that you're trying to go, but you don't look at Apple maps and go, that's not McDonald's. That's a facsimile. How's it ever going to get me there? I'm throwing it out right. the window. God, right. I just use McDonald's as a destination. Yeah, well, I'm so wow. sorry. <laughs> Wow. Um, anyway, yeah. So it's like, it's this weird catch 22 of, of yeah. Knowing and unknowing, knowing what we can know, trying, trying to, to listen to experts who know more than we do and then taking a certain degree of humility. And I do think that's what this story really is all about as well as hubris and humility. Yeah. Well, the other thing that just popped into my mind, uh, was, uh, this thing that I became, you know, I, I started hearing about a couple of years ago was, uh, the Dunning Kruger effect. You familiar with this? Um, I I feel like we've even talked about it, but remind me because it's not coming to mind immediately. <clears throat> Excuse me, and I'm gonna. This, I'm not an expert, so I'm just gonna give my dumb explanation. Sure. But the Dunning Kruger effect is basically how we um, tend to be more confident about things that we don't know. Like we we tend to speak more confidently about yeah. things we don't know, and then things yeah. that we are more confident in we tend to be uh less sure about speaking about because we like you said earlier because we know how much we don't know so right. what tends to happen is the, the, there's um there's another podcast that I was listening to a while ago called um uh, cautionary tales it's a great podcast and he talks about the dunning kruger effect in this and what tends to happen is people that are super confident that don't actually have all the information tend to make the yeah. biggest follies and the biggest, you know, mistakes in life Yeah, because we, and, and also yeah. I think what you're seeing is right now in social media, that's what you're seeing a lot of times when you see people, uh, you know, pushing, uh, crazy theories oh. or, or even like, um, all the stuff that, again, we're not going to get political here necessarily, but all the, you know, came out that there was all these, uh, Russian troll farms creating all this misinformation around the election. And the yep. reason all that stuff get, gets proliferated is because we don't actually have the knowledge but we're confident enough to put it out there, right? Um, and that's yeah. the Dunning-Kruger effect, is we're super confident about the stuff we don't know. And, <laughs> and Well, well and, I, and I see this all the time. I'll give you a really dumb example. So I wrote my doctoral dissertation on an early Christian mystic theologian named Origin of Alexandria. Mm-hmm. And so for, for two, three hundred years, he's the most influential voice in a ve- Christianity at that point, a very different religion. Um, and he's, you know, people will tell you he's very Neoplatonic and he was influenced by Plotinus and all these things that are sort of true and sort of not true. He's actually an older classmate of Plotinus. But, um, so the, so the conventional wisdom, I hear this all the time from very learned, educated people. They're like, oh, Origen, that's the guy who castrated himself because okay. there is a story that, um, Origen, two or 300 years, 
uh, and, and all through his lifetime and then after was always very controversial because he mm. said a lot of things that that pissed people off. You know, he was one of the first people in the in the context of the Christian system to say that all souls would be saved, that even the devil would be reunited with God and and fallen angels and so on and so forth. Um, and a lot of other things. Uh-oh, uh, Mike, I don't know if you can hear me, but you're frozen it, on my end. You're frozen on my end. This is the censors once again. They do, they don't want origin story to get out. It happens every time. Oh, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, you just, I lost you for like 30 seconds. Okay. So you were talking, you started to talk about origin. Right. So origin is, is arguably a lot. He's, he's a lot of scholars will tell you he's the single most important character in Christian history after Jesus and Paul. He is controversial in his lifetime. And after his lifetime, a lot of people don't like him. He talks about total restoration. He says all souls will be saved, including the devil and fallen angels. Um, he his version of Christianity does not serve empire well, and so there's a lot of like pushback from certain bishops. Uh, 200, 250 years, two hundred years. I don't remember after he died, Emperor Justinian uh, falsified documents to have him declared a heretic, mm. and then burned all his books. Wow. Um, and one of the stories that gets circulated in that is that the reason that that Origen was persecuted was because he was so Neoplatonic that he castrated himself. He cut off his testicles because he believed that sin and sexuality in the body were evil. Now, origin scholars know that one, that probably didn't actually happen because okay. there's points in his, there's, there's parts in some of his um, uh, writings where he specifically says not to do something like that. Number okay. one, number two, he's not as anti-body as they try to make him. And number three, even at that point, there were certain people who were eunuchs uh, and they were actually, they had that surgery performed on them. If you watch Game of Thrones, you're aware of the fact Varius was a eunuch. But in that world, they were a different gender that was neither male nor female. Mm. And they moved in certain places in royal courts that it behooved them to be not in the gender binary that that society dictated. You right. could also say that it was something where kings did it so that somebody who was waiting on their wife had zero chance of getting them pregnant. But it was... It was a non-binary um, sexual reality. It was a way to live in, in a different place. So probably didn't happen. If it did happen, probably happened for completely different reasons. But mm. I have had so many conversations with highly educated people who will argue to me with me that this is an absolute certainty. And I know that it's not. And I have a bunch of books on my shelf that can prove it. But they read it in a textbook from one scholar who said one sentence about it. And they trust that scholar. And that scholar quoted it. Because that scholar hasn't done the research, and that scholar quoted it from another trustworthy textbook, and you can trace it back a thousand years. And the right. reason is because uh, uh, fifteen hundred years ago, um, thereabouts, there was a an emperor who found it in his best agenda to de-emphasize the kind of like desert fathers and mothers, the more mystical expression of Christianity. And emphasize the more political expression that served the empire better. Yeah, and so they kind of like spread these stories, and they just they wow. filter through. So it then shaped what people study and what they read. And they were also like, "Well, don't read these guys' readings because they're dangerous." Mm. And so, so then people yeah. don't know. I, I pe- people all the time will be like, "Do you know? Well, you know, so and so said this. I said no. Origin said that. They go, "No, he didn't." I said, "Yes, he did. How do you know?" Because I can, they're like, well, I can show you where it says that John of the Cross said this. And I'm like, right, but I can pull a book that's a thousand years older and I can right. show you that he said that a thousand years prior. Right. So it's fine. 
But I can also tell you that John of the Cross was reading him. This is a lot of nerd stuff. You probably yeah, yeah. need to cut it. But the moral of the story is the deeper you go into history in literally any area, the deeper you realize two things. One, that the popular narrative is not only the accurate narrative, and two, that the popular narrative is always shaped by someone's agenda. Someone in power somewhere <laughs> yeah. is shaping the way stories are being told to serve their purpose. Right. Um, yeah, that's my, yeah, that's my axe to grind. Uh, and, and the same thing is true now in real time with the presentation of information. Yeah, that's awesome. And you see that in a lot of these adaptations I love of the like 1800s adaptations where they're like the British government is like, oh, the Martians are here. But don't worry, there's no greater fighting force in the world than the British Empire. And we're going to wipe them out. and We're going to do this. and We're going to do that. And it's this, you know, <laughs> um, popular narrative, man. Right. Very interesting. What else? Where are we? I think I think for me, um, I mean, what do you think? So we talked last week about how um, we need to create representations of things that we're afraid of, sometimes mm-hmm. in a fantastical way, to give us space to talk about it and lean into it. And I think what what good science fiction does is it takes a real world issue and it relocates it into a fantastic situation that makes it safe. Right. So that then we can think about it in a way that's not overwhelming. So I think I think that's kind of my question. What do you think? What, what do you think this story, 1953 movie, um, obviously, like we could say the Cold War. Yeah. But also the you listen to the broadcast, the broadcast as well. Any of the adaptations, anything we've talked about today. What do you think it's giving us the ability to talk about that we're afraid of or that's important? What do you think it's really about? Yeah, I mean, those are the two big things that I took away. I, I'm, I might Maybe I'm missing. I. I like I said, colonialism, obviously, like the, like you said, the, 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 this giant force coming down, um, <laughs> that, that you, you can't, uh, yeah. combat. Um, that's very obvious. Uh, and then, like I said, the, the, yeah, the, like the disinformation aspect of it. But what, what else are you, what else are you seeing here? I mean, I, I'm, I agree with you. I think I see a lot of those things. I think, um, yeah, sure. Colonial, colonialism, human dominance, imperialism. Um, this could be a whole other episode. We don't have time to get into it today, but it is interesting to me to look at the way that religion is used in all the different adaptations. Because like I said, in some versions, uh, because Wells had a very complicated relationship with religion. So in some versions, it's like God is on our side and that's why we win in the end. Right. And other versions, there's like the critique of like, well, how do you know the Martians don't think God is on their side? Right. Does does might make right. Right. Um, and does victory then let you retro-engineer a story that, that of course, God wants us to win because we're the chosen nation and, you know, we, we carry the truth and therefore we should dominate and conquer. And this this shows the other side of that, I think, in a way that's that's really, really important um, and really helpful. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, again, for me, as, as uh, amongst other things, you know, uh, a student of, of religion and mythology, it is amazing to me how much... Um, religion and mythology serve to critique the dominant culture and the dominant culture works so hard to co-opt religion and mythology and use it to endorse its prominent narrative, mm. right? That's, that's the thing I love about this story is it's a, it's a very prophetic story. And I mean prophetic not in the sense of foretelling the future, although it kind of does that, prophetic in the sense of speaking truth to power. Right. This is a massive critique of culture. Right. But, um, but you know, it's amazing, amazing, amazing how how like insidious dominant culture is in in co opting that and yeah. bringing it back in. So that's yeah. that's super captivating to me. Um, and I'm so so glad we talked about the kind of 
the media wars part of it, um, the manipulation of paranoia. This story has come up uh, a lot of times when people are afraid, right? Mm. In the 50s, people were afraid because of the Cold mm. War. In 2005, I think there was a there was a feeling of dueling feelings of American vulnerability and American superiority at right. the same time. Right. Um, and um, I think that's interesting. Um, and then I think, again, you know, we said this what we said the last episode too, just like the fear of the unknown. Like we don't know yeah. what's out there in space, man. It's a little bit scary. <laughs> you said it, you said it. Um, uh, that was a funny, a funny thing. Like uh, alien technology with the whole like UFO UAP phenomena right now or whatever it's called. Yeah. Alien technology is less terrifying than there being some other human agency in the world that has technology so superior to our own. The reason I say that is because I feel like, if, if let's pretend that aliens are real and that's what we're seeing, that's what all this stuff is. Yeah. Obviously they have the technology that they could wipe us out if they wanted to, but they have yet to do so. Sure. Right. That's pretty right. strong evidence that right. they are safer than the people that live on this planet who have battled with each other since the beginning of time. <laughs> so, <Absolutely. laughs> so like it's way scarier Absolutely. if we have that technology than if they do. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Humans, humans are the ultimate aliens in the true sense of the word, right? The unknown yeah. mysteries of the human heart and the horrible things we do to each other, yeah. and, and that's the thing, right? This this um, genocide has unfortunately shaped human history. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's wild, man. I um, I think well, all that to say, like, I think the movie's great. I think the book is amazing. I think the book is worth reading. I think that audible version of the book right now is mm. the most fun because I like. I like the inclusion of his wife. I like that love story. They definitely like take big shots at the parson, but that's fine. Okay. <laughs> um, I first encountered this when I was in third grade. I read a kid's version of this book oh. where they were basically, it was like classics, literary classics for young readers. Mm. But there's a, there's a scene in the book you, you see it's in the 1953 movie. It's in the Tom Cruise movie. It's in a lot of versions. There'll always be a scene where they're trapped in a house and the Martians are right outside of the house. Yep. And um, it's because that's actually from the book. Okay. I've read a lot of like uh, film critics who were like, this scene feels so out of place. And I'm like, yeah, but it's right out of the source material. Mm. And one of the things that's like terrifying, this wasn't in the version I read when I was in third grade. So when I re-encountered as an adult, I was like, oh my God, is they have um, the Martians are just uh, exsanguinating humans. Wow. They're um, like just draining the blood right out of them and, and, and uh, feeding on it, which oh. is really scary. Wow. Um and and it's right out of the book. Like the book has some legit scary moments. Interesting. And uh and again, I think every one of these, well, not War of the Worlds 2, the Asylum version. Don't go there. But most of these are really 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 fun uh and I strongly recommend yeah. checking it out. And man, you got to listen to that album. Got to yeah, listen yeah, yeah. to that album. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Well, the one, the one last thing that I sort of wanted to touch on a little bit, and I don't know where this will go, but the one thing that resonates with me a little bit when we look at this movie, and then even way more so, I think, um, in, you know, we talked about earlier in Independence Day, is the idea that when humanity as a whole realizes that they have to come together to try to battle this thing, yeah. you know, and it, rec it, it uh, yeah. reminds me of, you know, right after 9-11, how the whole world was together. Like, everybody was, like, yeah. you know, coming together for this purpose. And uh, the, it's it's 
amazing to me how often that theme comes up in movies and stuff like that because i think that's what you know deep down i think we all know that to be true that that's the way it should be right like we should be like even if you get into like you know a lot of the i don't listen to too much but some of the folks that i listen to that are still in like the religious uh sphere you know, talk a lot about how we are, the whole point of it is to to recognize that we are one, that we are, you know, whether yeah. you talk about like one spiritual being or whatever, um, but trying to get to that point of being one. Um, and it's, it's wild to me that how many times that story is told, you know, yeah. and how we're always struggling to get there. Yeah. But I, it's one of those things like, I, is it possible? Can, is that ever something that will ever happen? You know, I don't know. Yeah. It's funny because that's definitely in the 1953 movie. They fly that flag high. Right. We, we talked about it being, shows up in Independence Day a little bit. It's not in the book. In the book, humanity just loses. Um, so the book has a kind of a um, a dislodging of human dominance, even on Earth. Because mm. in the book, it's microbes that take down the aliens, not humans. Right, 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 right. So it, it actually questions even, are we... Are we really the, the dominant species here? But this yeah. idea that that um, also then the interconnected system of nature, humanity saved by microbes, right? Right, right, so, right, right. So, so this, I think, yeah, I think, I think it's a good thing to point out. I think it's a good addition, and I think there's a reason we come back to it. Is because you know we live a lot of times dog eat dog, where it's like me against everyone else because I'm just trying to survive. And then there's that other perspective of it, even even in a in a Darwinistic sense, where you're like, "Look, man, we're in it together in a fight against mortality. Right. Um, we got to work together. It's our yeah. best shot at survival, without crossing into the mystical belief that we are all connected right. and we are more than the sum of our parts, and I alone am nothing. Right. right? Yeah. Um, and I think I do think that the a lot of the adaptations in the book play with that well because there's a scene where the lead character's walking through the streets of London and it's completely empty mm. and it's just him. And mm. it's very um, I Am Legend. And yeah, those, yeah, yeah. You know, there's a connection between the two stories. This influenced that. Then then that was influenced by this and so on and so forth. Right. But this idea of you know when we're really alone, we realize that we can't make it alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's well said. Yeah. And I, I hope I'll say this, and then I got to run because I got to go get a haircut. But I, <laughs> I wonder. This would be my question for you, and go out on this note. Do you think the last year? Do you think COVID brought us closer to that realization that we all need each other and we're all in it together, or do you think it took us further away? Boy, <laughs> that is a tough one. That is a tough one. Yeah, I think you're seeing evidence that COVID had a positive impact on a lot of people. And I yeah. don't mean, obviously it was devastating and it was, you know, horrible. I'm saying the sil- there's silver linings, right? Yeah. And I think you are seeing a lot of people who do get that. I think I've seen like a lot of like anecdotally, right? Yeah. But I've seen people taking a little bit more stock in life in general, yeah. um, recognizing that, you know, working uh, 80 hours a week just to buy shit that we don't need. Like we talked about this before, like, yeah. It's consumerism, right? Like, I think you've seen a lot more yeah. of that, like, with some people. But then yeah. I can speak personally. You know, I've seen folks that are right back at it, you know? It's just 
back to business as usual. The country's opening up, so now mm-hmm. everything's back to normal. And then it can't be overstated the amount of divisiveness that we have politically right now and the, the craziness that has yeah. ensued the last couple, uh, especially the last couple months, uh, or not January specifically. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, it's obviously a mixed bag, man. You know, I mean, I know for me personally, yeah. I do think it's, it's uh, you know, I was just talking to a buddy of mine and saying how like this summer I'm calling it I, I, you've seen it I'm doing this hashtag summer of hangs yeah okay and the whole point is I'm just trying to take stock in life itself yeah you know I'm trying to say like yo this last year was wild yeah. like now I have a little bit more room to breathe I yeah. can hang out with friends right now like let's take stock in that because that's yeah. important that's the only thing that's like that matters really yeah is like loving your friends and we've, I think I say this every podcast yep. like that's what matters um. You know, so for me personally, man, yeah, I, I think there's been a lot of silver linings that have uh, really um, brought me closer to that idea of oneness, you know? Um, so, yeah. But what about you? What do you I like that? That's encouraging to hear. I think, I think what I've seen a lot of is um, there's a lot of people that went in a like, COVID was hard, especially those of us who had long quarantine. I know a lot of people didn't, but some mm-hmm. of us were locked down for a long time. I was. Mm-hmm. And it was hard. And then people were like, I'm going to make this meaningful. I'm going to do all this stuff. And then I think we all, a lot of us ran out of gas around yep. January. Yep. Um, and for lots of reasons. Mm-hmm. And then I think um, what I've seen with most of my friends and loved ones is everything opened up. People hit the ground running. They're like, I'm going to get out. I'm going to do stuff. I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just get out in the world again because I can. And now I'm watching one by one. A lot of my friends kind of get into a little bit of crisis, a crisis Ooh. of reflection Mm. And they're going, oh, what's happening? And I keep saying to people over and over again, you're not going to come out of that and jump back into normal. Mm. And I see a lot of people asking deeper questions. And they're yeah. asking deeper questions because you can't go through what happened in the last year and a half and not reassess what actually matters. Yeah. And now I think we have to, we have to deal with the consequences of asking those questions and, and look for the answers. And I think that's good. Yeah. I think that's good. And so, like, even you talking about the summer of hangs, that makes sense to me. Because what you realize is people that I care about are what matters most. Yeah. And so now I'm going <laughs> to yeah. reprioritize my life to move towards what matters most. Yeah. And I think I think that's kind of, I'll go out on this note, I think that's kind of where I'm at, is the last year and a half have driven me to ask a lot of deep questions. And now that I have some a little more agency over my life in a way that I didn't when yeah. I was locked down, I want to rebuild my life a little bit more in a way that serves the things that I now realize are more important. Yeah. Um, that's, awesome. that's great. Yeah. Cause we don't, we don't come through a, a war of the worlds or a, a war with ourselves or a war with COVID or anything and not, yeah. and not, you know, think differently. So, um, and one of the things that I value is getting to do this, man. This is yeah, man. super this fun. Is awesome. This one was fun. I like this one a lot. This is yeah. Great. It was super great. Um, let me know when you listen to that album. I will. Uh, what you think. And, and, let's, uh, and let's do the next one sooner. Like, let's, let's plan this right away. Yeah. Let's do the next one right away. Um, Seriously. Well, let's, let's, do our, let's do our little uh, wrap-up here. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening to the Cinemartyr Podcast. Uh, just want to remind everybody, if you can, go ahead and subscribe on Apple or Stitcher or Spotify and give us a review or a rating at least. That would be super cool. I, we're supposed to say that. Um, and the big news this week is, 
is we have an Instagram page. So go like us on Instagram. We're our Cinemartyr Pod on Instagram. Right on. And that for right now is the way if you want to interact with us and talk about the episode or give us suggestions or whatever, you can go on there and, and hang out with us. We got our first comment from a fan this week, Mike. Oh, really? And she was saying how much she uh, loved the Groundhog Day episode right on. and how we uh, she especially liked um, our uh, talk about uh, the inability to control things in our life right? or our lack of control right in on. life. Right on. That's and, fantastic. Uh, so uh, we got our first uh, positive That's on feedback. the Instagram page? That's on the Instagram, on the on the Groundhog Day check that post. Out. Right yeah. on. Excellent. Um, so anyway, thanks again, everybody. Check us out on Instagram, um, and we'll hopefully be back sooner this time than the last time. See you later. Right on. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs>